This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Are you sick and tired of biased hockey talk? Then you have come to the right place. The Drop focuses on the St. Louis Blues, but we also delve into other news from around the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You were headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance Descott. This is The Drop Podcast, and as always, I am your host, Lance Descott. This is a very special episode, so let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. It's time for a view from the crease with former Blue and NHL Hall of Fame goalie Grant Fuhrer. Grant, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on with us again. Oh, my pleasure, Lance. As always, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the Blues. The Maple Leafs have been busy recently. They've got a lot of things going on. The Oilers' struggles, the firing of general manager Peter Shirelli. We haven't talked since that happened. Wanted to get your take on that. And also a few other things, the Flames. We'll talk about Bobrovsky, Panarin, and then, of course, the possibility of uh, Jonathan Quick being traded from the Kings. But first, I want to get into one of your former teams and mostly one of the most beloved teams in Canada, the Toronto Maple Leafs. A few weeks ago, they made a splash with a trade for Jake Muzzin. They gave up a first rounder, two former second round picks. And I wanted to get your take on what you thought about Jake Muzzin as a D-man. Was it worth it? Is he going to be able to shore up that Toronto blue line? It looks like he's doing a pretty good job so far. But what are your thoughts on Jake Muzzin and that trade? I think Jake Muzzin's a good fit for Toronto. I mean, they needed a little bit of more of a defensive defenseman. They needed a little bit of toughness in the back end. And Jake Muzzin fits those roles. So he's going to be that stay-at-home guy that's going to give them a little bit of a physicality in their back end. And I think it's going to be a big help for the Leafs. I really like Jake Muzzin. I think he's a solid D-man. He's got Stanley Cup experience. And you and I both know, Grant, a lot of people think that's overhyped. But when you have a guy in the locker room that's been there a couple times, He knows what it takes to get there. That can be huge for a team that's not been there, especially a team with young players. It can be. I mean, it's good to have experience around. And Jake's one of those guys, he's not a flashy player, but he does his job every day and brings a great work ethic to the room. And I think that's that's what really helps is you see a guy that's been there, he's won some cups, that still works hard every day in and out of practice. And it's a good example for the younger players. Yes, it is. And a guy that he's not been in the Stanley Cup before, but he's been there in Toronto for a couple of years. Austin Matthews signs that big contract. I think most of us thought that was definitely going to happen before you know the end of the season. I'm glad they got it done. And I think it was at a pretty decent rate, a little over $11 million a year. I know he probably maybe could have got a little bit more, but he's happy there in Toronto. Are you happy with that contract, Grant? I think it's a good contract. I mean, for the, for the Leafs and for Austin. I mean, it's both a good deal, but my only concern about that one is going to be what are they going to do with the rest of the guys they have to sign? Because it's, it sets a pretty good precedent of what the market's going to be and 
they still got a couple of guys to sign. So what's going to happen with the chemistry on that side of it? That's exactly my thoughts. They've got a lot of young guys that are going to be restricted free agents after this year. And one of those guys, a key member of their team, Mitch Marner, from what I understand, his agent is telling me, at least from what I hear in people in Toronto, his agent is telling me that he's going to want 9 to $10 million a year for six years. Grant, I think he's a very good player, but he's not Austin Matthews caliber. I think he has a big impact on the team. Do you see him getting that type of contract? I mean, maybe he can get an offer sheet as a restricted free agent and force the Leafs to pay more than they want to. But I see him more of a guy that's a six and a half to seven and a half million dollars a year guy, four or five years. The Leafs, I don't think, can afford to give him nine to ten million dollars a year. Well, in the salary cap era, it's going to be tough to fit nine or ten million in there for another player. I mean, you got to look at all the pieces you have to surround those guys with. So you've got to have room and some money for that. And Mitch is a great player and he's a big asset for that hockey club, but I just don't think they have the room to give him ten million. I think they've reached a point with their roster where they've got some major decisions to make. Some of these guys, I think, are going to get offer sheets from other teams. And I would hate to see them lose Mitch Marner. He loves the city there. He's been a key to their success. And he plays well with Austin Matthews. From what I understand, he's a great teammate. And I think it would just be sad to see him go somewhere else. Oh, I agree. And the problem for the Leafs is going to be he's going to put up good numbers. I mean, that's the other thing playing with Matthews is he's going to have great numbers at the end of the year. And when you look at it dollar-wise, the numbers are going to say, yeah, he deserves that much money. But when you look at it team-wise, is it going to be feasible and will it fit? Yeah, it's it's a little different than when you played the game when it comes to contracts and fitting people in. It's a much more tedious process, especially for a GM to do that. Um, You know, they made the move with Muzzin. They really wanted a right-handed defenseman such as Alex Petrangelo. But with what they paid for Muzzin, I think the cost for Petrangelo would have been way too much. And the Blues now are playing well, and they probably couldn't have got him from the Blues. But do you see the Maple Leafs making any more trades before the trade deadline? I could see the Leafs maybe looking for another kind of a gritty forward. I I keep hearing Wayne Simmons, who I think would be a great fit in Toronto. And he's that guy. He's got a good skill set but he also brings physicality to it. And I think that that might be the last piece that the Leafs are missing is they just need that one physical forward that's a skill forward at the same time. So I could see Simmons being a really good fit there. Yeah, I definitely think that's one of the cities where he would fit in very well. And I think he would have great success for the rest of the season and also into the playoffs. You need a little bit of that grit in the playoffs. You don't need to necessarily be so physical where you're beating the crap out of everybody else. But you need that guy that when it comes down to it, he's going to stand up for teammates. He's going to put some pucks in the net. He's going to play some decent defense for a guy like him. But most of all, he's good in the locker room. And he's just that physical presence that I think the Leafs would really benefit from. Wayne Simmons definitely would be good for them. I think the Flyers are going to hold out to the last minute to see what they can get for him. Do you think that's what the Flyers are probably going to most likely do? I would expect the, fly, the Flyers to sit and wait. I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that want a guy like that. And Wayne Simmons is going to be on high on a lot of teams' lists. So I could see them coming down to the last few minutes even 
to get the best deal possible. I mean, it just makes sense for them if they're going to start a little rebuild. Yeah, I, I fully agree. You, you can't you can't trade a guy like him right now. You could probably get a good return if you wait till right before the trade deadline, or like you said, an hour before it's over. You're going to get some teams that are going, just going to give in and give a lot more than they would have now. And speaking of teams that have just had issues this year, the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know, Grant. You and I have talked about it before. I think they've got talent. They've got some great guys. They've got two 30-goal scores, but they've got 53 points. They're six points out of a playoff spot. They're 3-5-2 and two in their last 10. I've been watching a lot of their games of the last couple weeks, and I watched that Flyers game. They had such a great first period in that game, and then they just fell apart. Then they go to play the Blackhawks, and they had a similar type of game ahead 2-1, to one, and the Blackhawks get five goals in a third period. This team just seems to be falling apart. What can they do, Grant, to to get better? Are they going to be able to make a trade, or, and should they even make a trade? I, it's When you're in that situation, it's tough on management. I mean, yeah, you'd probably like to make some changes. I think there's something missing in the dressing room. I mean, I've watched a few of the games. Some nights they look like world beaters for a period, and then it looks like they just shut the engine off. And then other nights they don't look like they care. And then other nights they're fantastic through the whole night. So it's really been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde season for them. So I think, yeah, you'd like to change the character in the room a little bit, but are there a lot of guys that other teams are going to want? Or are you going to be basically stuck with the guys that you have? And if you are, how do you motivate them to play hard every night? That's, that's going to be their biggest issue. Yeah, and it's a similar situation to what the Blues are in. It's just the fact that the Blues have come out of it. They're starting to play better defense. They're protecting the net better. They're moving the puck better. They're not making as many mistakes. And you would think a team like Edmonton that does have some talent might be able to do that. But they've just had so many issues, Grant, with getting rid of coaches and getting rid of general managers. I was never a big Peter Shirelli fan. I know he got him to the playoffs within, you know, the first year there, and then things kind of went downhill. But he just made so many mistakes. They've got to get this next GM hiring right. They can't make any mistakes on this because it could set him back several years again. And I know the Oilers fans are such passionate fans, and I don't think that city can take it going through another bad general manager. No, definitely not. I mean, as a fan sitting and watching it, it's disappointing. I mean, you look at the talent they have and you look at where they are in the standings. And the one year, I think they had a lot of guys overachieve. And that's why they made such a good run in the playoffs. And the next year, everybody underachieved. So somewhere in between those two years is what they really are. And to a point, this year, I find to be a disappointing year as a fan. I, they should be better than they are. Maybe not as good as people think they should be. But they should be a playoff team, and they should be right in that hunt pushing. And the last oh, two, three weeks watching them play as a fan is disappointing because you know what they're capable of, but they're just not bringing that to the ice. And I'm sure as an alumni, a former player, it's got to hurt your heart a little bit to see what's happened with them. I, Shirelli comes in. He'd won the Stanley Cup with the Bruins a couple years before. The Oilers are hoping he can do something like that for them. And then he just reels off a bunch of bad moves. 
He gets defenseman uh, Griffin Reinhardt from the Highlanders for a number, a number one pick. The Islanders use that pick to get Matt, Matthew Barzal, and he was the rookie of the year. They make that huge contract signing with Lucic, which was just nuts in my mind. They get rid of a fan favorite and a very good player in Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. He trades Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom to save money. It's just not been a good thing for him, and I'm not even including the acquiring Ryan Spooner, and they placed him on waivers. It's just been one bad move after another, Grant. There hasn't been a lot of great moves. I mean, I can understand the Larson for Hall move because Adam Larson's a great stay-at-home defenseman, and we didn't have any at that time. So I can understand that move, but when you trade away your secondary scoring without replacing it, that's hard to understand. I mean, you have to have more than one-dimensional scoring, which right now the Oilers are a one-dimensional team. I mean, you look at McDavid, Dreisaitl. I think Chason's been a nice surprise. Hopkins is going to be a great second-line center. But once you get outside of that, it's pretty thin. And you don't win in the National Hockey League without your second-line scoring. Yeah, you've got to have top-tier guys scoring 30, 35 goals a year. Then you've got to have those guys that are the 15 to 25 goal guys. You've got to have a couple of those guys. You have to. No, it's true. I mean, take a team like Vegas. They've got, what, five guys now that are have 14, 15, 16 goals. So they're getting scoring from everywhere. And they're competitive and they're successful. And you have to have that secondary scoring. It seems like the Oilers have always, in the last couple of years, they just get rid of a couple coaches. And I don't think that it was necessarily all the coach's fault. And you know from playing, it's never all the culture's fault because the players are the ones that are responsible on the ice. The coach can put a game plan in place. He can put players in the position to succeed, but it's up to the players to come out and play the game and get wins. It is. I mean, at the end of the day, you can replace coaches, you can replace management, but the players still have to play. And I know from being in different locker rooms and playing myself that it's within the room is where you decide that you're going to go out and compete. And something somewhere along the way is missing in that organization right now. So it's got, in my view, it's got to be in the room. You know, they bring in Ken Hitchcock. When he came to the Blues, he turned the Blues around. I know the end of his tenure wasn't so great, but he turned them around and they made the playoffs. Everybody's thinking Hitchcock's going to come in and fix it quickly. But Grant, you cannot fix something like this very quickly. You could have a great coach come in such as him, and he knows how to get them to play better defense because you and I both know it all starts with defense. A lot of scoring opportunities start out with great defensive plays in the D zone, and he's tried his best to get them out there, and it's just not worked for him. No, and Hitch is a great coach. I mean, he's won at all levels, so he knows what he's doing. And if the players don't buy into his system, then it's not going to work. I mean, you can coach all you want, but if the players don't buy into it, then it's you're kind of treading water more than anything. And right now, that's kind of the way the Oilers look. It looks like they're treading water. Do you think if they don't make the playoffs that uh, Ken Hitchcock will be back, or do you think he's kind of seen what's there and doesn't want to do a long rebuild, which I don't think they have a long rebuild. I think they need a few more pieces. Like you said, some middle-of-the-road scoring. But do you think he'll be back after this year? It's hard to say. I mean, you got to look at Hitch has done everything in the game. So 
it's going to, it'll kind of be up to him, I think, whether he wants to do it or not. And I think the fan base in Edmonton isn't going to settle for a long rebuild. I think that's going to be the next biggest issue is they want some success and they want it fast. And with the patience they've shown, they deserve that. I mean, it's, it's been an ugly 12, 13 years. So they deserve some success right away. Sure they do. And you know they're frustrated, Grant. I don't know if you got to see this. I was watching the game the other day. And at the end of the game, the fan come down and threw his jersey on the ice. I never thought I would see that in an Edmonton Oiler game. I saw it a few years ago, too. I mean, it's disappointing. One, I understand the fans are all frustrated, but you don't like to see him disrespect the jersey. I mean, we we all, we all played for that. We still care about it as fans, as alumni, so you don't want to see that. But it's understandable the frustration the fans have right now. And, you know, the Maple Leafs fan base gets a lot of credit for being a great fan base. But I'll tell you what, the Oilers, most of those season ticket holders are just blue-collar people, you know, some white-collar people. They're true fans, and they really hurt when this team doesn't play well. A lot of the people in Edmonton show up for a lot of the games if they have season tickets. It's not like Toronto where, you know, a lot of people that have season tickets in Toronto may only show up to 15, 20 games a year. Not all of them, but the majority of Edmonton Oilers fans show up for most of those home games. Well, they do. And there's fans that drive in from a couple hundred miles away for every game. So, I mean, it's a diehard fan base and you can understand their frustration. I mean, I know it's frustrating as a fan myself. So you can see where they're coming. You can see where they're coming from, and you can see why they're upset. Oh yeah, they drive far away. I've got friends of mine up there in Grand Prairie, and they have season tickets to the Oilers. And you know that drive, Grant. That's a couple hour drive just to go see the Oilers play. It is. At this time of year, it's a crappy drive because it's snowing and miserable. So you've got to be a dedicated fan to make that trip. There's people from Saskatchewan that come in to make. They go into every game. So, you know, if they're that dedicated and they're making those drives, that they expect some results. You know, a lot of people, and I, I think they're far off base on this one, Grant, they're talking about how Craig McTavish needs to go, Kevin Lowe needs to go. Those guys aren't the issue with this team. They're just not the issue at all. Well, I think the biggest issue is on the ice. I mean, I'm not sure who pulls what strings in the organization. I haven't been a part of the organization, but I can't see them making that big a difference in an office. Whereas it's the product on the ice that has to be good. And guys just aren't playing to their capabilities right now. And I think that's the tough part. It's easy to say, okay, it's the old boys club, whatever. But I don't think it's us. Or, well, I'm not, I include myself in being one of the old boys, but not being part sure. of the organization. But I don't think it's them that's the big issue. They're just a name that's there that's kind of lurking in the back, and it's an easy target for fans that are frustrated. Well, sure it is. I mean, Kevin Lowe is just considered an ambassador. What what does he have to do with the play on the ice? And even McTavish, you know, he doesn't have anything to do with the play on the ice. Those aren't the guys that need to be blamed. You know, there's a lot of blame to go around, and there are people in Edmonton that I've talked to that actually think Bob Nicholson needs to go, that he needs to be removed as CEO. Because he's been one of the constants, the constant uh, people in charge for several years. Do you feel that way, Grant, or do you think Bob Nicholson has done a pretty good job? I think Bob's a smart hockey guy. So I mean, I 
without being in the organization and being there day to day, you don't really know who's making what decision. So it's hard to tell from a fan standpoint. But I like Bob. I mean, I think he's done great things for Hockey Canada, and I think he's good for the organization. But without being there day to day, you don't know. No, that's that's exactly right. Uh, you know, one of the things that gets me, Grant, and I just couldn't believe it, and it's nothing against uh, Miko uh, Koskinen. It's the fact that the day before Peter Shirelli gets let go, I think it was the day before, they sign him to a new four four year deal. Do you think he's a solution in goal? He's a young goaltender. You know, Grant, from experience, it takes young goaltenders to be successful in this league. It takes them a while. They may have some success at first, but it's not always easy to come into this league. Do you think he's the answer in goal for them long term? It's hard to tell. I mean, there isn't a big body of work there to look at. I mean, yeah, you got the big raise and everything, but it was based on 27 games. And if analytics will love me for this, but if you look at the, the 27 games, the majority of the work was done in seven games. The other 20 were pretty average. So, I mean, was it justified? Hard to say. But at the same time, now you've got Koskinen and Talbot there. What kind of a message are you sending to Talbot? You're going to need both guys to be successful for you to be successful, and you've just sent a message saying, we're not really interested in you. So, I think it was a bad message for the team more than anything. I think that's that's how you drive divide into a team. And I think more than anything, that may have that could be one of the wrenches. Yeah, and I don't think it helped just a couple games later. Uh, Ken Hitchcock told the team on the bench in practice after Talbot had had a terrible night the night before. He told everybody that Talbot's their man. Talbot's their guy. Talbot's their goalie. I love Ken Hitchcock, Grant, but, you know, I understand why he did it, but doesn't that maybe also kind of put a little bit of a bridge between some guys on the team and other guys on the team? Well, I know what he was doing. I mean, as a goalie, having coached goalies in the National Hockey League, if a guy has a bad night, you want to put it right back in so that he can, one, build his own confidence. Two, you have to prove to the guys, you prove to yourself that you can play. I mean, if you have a bad night, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have a good night the next time you play. So that's kind of been an old adage. If a guy has a bad outing, you want him back in the next night. And that's that's the way I always wanted it when I played. It's the way I wanted it when I was coaching. So I fully understand that part of it. Does it send a bad message? No, it just gives you a chance to prove yourself and prove yourself to your teammates. And speaking of Talbot, there's been a lot of talk of the Oilers trading him. Do you see them trading him? before the trade deadline. I know there's got to be some suitors out there because just from watching him, Grant, I think there's a lot of nights, just like Jake Allen for the Blues, where the team doesn't play good in front of him. And I've always told people, some nights goalies get too much credit and other nights goalies get too much of the blame. This is a team sport. There's a lot of things that lead to goals. Uh, And it's not always the goalie's fault. And I still think Cam Talbot is an NHL goalie. A lot of people don't. But do you see them moving on from him before the trade deadline? Oh, I think it's going to be interesting to see. By giving Koskinen the deal, I think Cam has a limited movement clause in his contract. Yeah, he does. So they've kind of lost their power over where they move him to. He's going to be selective about where he goes. 
just because he's unrestricted and he's got that choice now where, hey, if I don't want to go somewhere, he doesn't have to go. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that one. As for Cam being an NHL goalie, I have no doubt that he is. I mean, I think he's going to be a number one somewhere and be very successful in the next couple of years. Yeah, I do too. I, I and a lot of people think I'm nuts when I say that. Just the same thing with Jake Allen. It, it's a team sport. You and I have talked about it before. It's not the goalie's fault every time a puck goes in the net. No, nah, but it's the it's the one position where you get to make a difference every day, and that's the fun part of it. There's lots of good that goes with it. There's lots of bad that goes with it. That's why we like to do it. Yeah, and people have always told me when I tell them I used to be a goaltender, you've got to be nuts. I said, well. I I don't I guess you could say that a little bit to, you know to have somebody shoot a puck at you a hundred miles an hour maybe a little off but that's what makes us so great. <laughs> well, that's the fun part. And a lot of a lot of the heat that like Jake Allen at the start of the year, like Cam's taken, your goalie coach should eat some of that heat, just because that's part of your job. Take the heat off the goalies. Let the goalies play. So I mean. Coaches kind of absorb some of the heat for that, but as a goalie, you want to be able to make a difference every day, and you want to be out there playing. You know, we talked about the Maple Leafs and what they would do at the trading deadline. I don't think, in all honesty, that Edmonton has a lot of cap space to do too much. It would have to be, you know, almost for a player for player, a guy making, let's say if he's making $6.5 a year, they've got to trade for a guy that's making a similar type of salary. Otherwise, I don't think they're going to be able to do that, Grant. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think they're handicapped cap-wise. And I think they've got some contracts out there and some that have got them kind of backed into a corner where any of the movements they'd like to make, they're not going to be able to just because of the cap room they have. Yeah, and one of the players I wanted to talk to you about, he's a youngster, uh, Puyi Arvey. I think he's going to be a decent player. A lot of people are telling me he's another Nail Yakupov. He's going to be a bust. I don't think I've seen enough sample size from him, Grant, to call him another Nail Yakupov. Not yet. I mean, I think Jesse's a good player. He's got good skills. He's a good shot. I just don't think he's found a comfort level yet. I mean, he hasn't played a whole lot at the American League level. He hasn't played a whole lot at the NHL level. And... He's not going to be a guy that's going to play on your third, fourth line. He's going to have to be in your top six forwards. And until you get to see 25 or 30 games as a top six forward, you're not really going to know what you have. So whether it be the National Hockey League or the American League, you'd like to see a big body of work with him as a top six forward just so you actually know what you have. I'm sure that Edmonton would have loved to be able to have him in the AHL for you know a year year and a half, two years to, to grow the guy. That's always the best way to do it. Even for a guy that's got a lot of talent, you've got to give him some seasoning. Some of these guys come into the NHL from ever, whatever league they come from college juniors overseas. And the talent level in the NHL grant is so much higher, even from the AHL to the NHL. You see guys in the AHL score 45 goals you know, in one year and everybody's talking about, Oh, they're going to be, you know, the next big winger for this team or that team. And what these people don't realize, Grant, there is a huge step up. It's not a small one, Grant. 
it's a huge step up from the AHL to the NHL. It is a big step. But, I mean, there's some kids are going to be able to step right in and play. Some kids are going to develop a little bit slower. I mean, I think that's the part that everybody loses sight of. Kids develop at different stages in different ways. You're going to see a guy like Carter Hart in Philly who probably could have stepped right in and played in the National Hockey League. You see some guys who struggle for four or five years, and then all of a sudden they catch fire, and everybody's like, well, how did they manage to miss that? Well, they just develop later. And it varies from player to player. Sure it does. I've seen guys come up when they're 20 years old, and they're great. I've seen guys come up when they're 20, and they're not real good. I've seen guys come up as goaltenders. They come up at 25, 26, and because of the seasoning they had in the AHL, they really know how to play the game. They've They've made uh, great adjustments from when they were in juniors or in college, and they turn out to be pretty decent NHL goalies. Yeah, and the, the biggest misnomer with goalies is everybody's afraid to play a kid as an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old in the National Hockey League. Well, you don't know if he can play until you put him in some games and let him get his feet underneath them. So I'm kind of a big advocate. I mean, I was lucky Glenn Sather kind of thinks a little bit the way I do that give a kid a chance. You'll know within the first month, month and a half, whether he's ready for that or not. But until you give him that month and a half, it's a guess. And the easiest thing to do is say, well, we're not sure we're going to send him down and let him play in the American League, let him play back in junior. But at the same time, I'd rather see the kid take a shot at it and see if he can play. If he can't play, then you know he's not ready yet. But he might people sure. they surprise you sometimes and they can handle it. Yeah, and I think one mistake also some teams make, Grant, I know you've seen it before, they bring a guy up and they give him a cup of coffee and he has two games where he allows three or four goals and they send him down and you don't see him for the rest of the season. I think sometimes that's a mistake. You need to let these young goaltenders get in and if they do great, that's that's awesome. But if they make a couple mistakes, that's how they learn. You're not going to learn that how to be a great NHL goaltender until you get that NHL experience. It's true. I mean, you got to get your feet underneath you. And I'm happy to see that Philly has got him up playing. I mean, there's nothing better than playing to see what a guy's got. And it's going to benefit them in the long run because now he's got NHL games under his belt where he knows what it's going to be like so he can adjust and develop himself to see what he needs to change to play at the National Hockey League level. Yeah, and you've got people like Jordan Bennington for the Blues comes up, and he's just played awesome in his first 11 games. But if you watch the games the other night, the other day in Saturday in in St. Louis against Nashville, he got pretty fortunate. There were a couple times, Grant, where he went down too early, and the one time the player for Nashville missed the net, but he had an open, open net above him because he went down too early. And they're going to make those mistakes, but you know after the game, his goalie coach went to him and probably said, hey, you, you know you went down too early those couple times. You really need to work on that because you're not going to get away with stuff like that in the NHL very often, but you've got to be in net to be able to make those mistakes. It's true. I mean, the good kids will realize they've made mistakes, and they'll adjust. I mean, I think that's the fun part of being an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid. You're going to adjust. You're you're there, you're soaking everything in, and you're going to know what you need to do to get better. So you're going to adjust, and that's what the goalie coaches are there for, to help you adjust and help you make those changes. We've been talking about the possibility of playoffs and what teams should make trades. 
I know you and I talked about it's going to be difficult for the Oilers to make a trade. They're only six points out of a playoff spot. The Blues and the Wild, last time I checked, had 59 points, and the Oilers have 53. The Western Conference, in, in my mind, is still wide open. There's still six, seven teams that could grab a playoff spot. Do you think the Oilers have the talent and can turn things around enough to make up for that six points and jump all those teams to get into the playoffs? Well, the fun part about the West is I don't think anybody's out of it yet because everybody's going to play against each other. And that, that's going to be the fun part is you're going to, if you see a team get on a roll where they win three or four in a row and somebody loses three or four in a row, the whole thing could switch. So that's going to be the fun of the West this year. There's, just, there's nobody out of it. It's going to be a matter of who catches fire for the last month and a half of the season. And you know, Grant, we see teams get in and you need at least 94 points. But if I'm looking over the last 10 years, it averages around 96 points. I honestly think with the way the West is going, we may see a team get into the playoffs, Grant, with 90 points or a little bit under. I was thinking the same thing. You could crawl in with 89, 90 points. And the funny part is you could be dead last in the National Hockey League with 78 points. So it's that close this year that you may finish dead last in the West and still have 85 points. So that's, that's what's going to be the fun of the last month and a half, and that's what's going to make the trade deadline fun is everybody's got a chance. So what do you do trade deadline-wise? Because that could make a big difference as to who gets in and who doesn't. That's exactly right. All these GMs are looking around, you know, Arizona, Edmonton, uh, the Kings, the Blackhawks, the Blues. Uh, you've got all these teams, Vancouver, and their GMs are going, oh, my God, we're only six points out. We're only f- five points out. We're only four points out. You know, do I make a trade? Do I not make a trade? Well, what do I do? You know some of these guys are just, are just going nuts trying to figure out what to do, but that's fun to see that. Well, that's the fun part. I think there's, what, 20, most teams have 27, 28 games left. Six points isn't a big number. I mean, that's a matter of somebody having a good week and somebody having a bad week, and all of a sudden you're a playoff team. In the same case, you could have a bad week, and all of a sudden you have no chance. So that's going to be the fun part coming up. Yeah, and it's going to be really difficult, Grant, if we get to that last day on the trade deadline and all these teams are still four points, five points out. It's going to be difficult for these GMs to decide, am I going to sell? Am I going to buy? Do I want to disrupt my team? What am I going to do? In a perfect world, I'd love to see everybody within about six points of that last playoff spot come the trade deadline, because that would make the deadline really interesting. Moving on to another one of your former teams, the Calgary Flames. They had a bit, a little bit of a rough spot, but in their last 10, they're 6-2-2. Two, and two. They're looking really, really good. Uh, they're one of the top teams in the league. You and I have talked about them before. I don't think they get the respect that they deserve. Everybody talks about Nashville, Winnipeg. You know, the, everybody's talking about you know other teams, the Capitals, uh, the Blue Jackets. But you don't hear a lot of people, at least in the U.S., people that I know, talking about what a solid team the Calgary Flames are. And I think that explains it perfectly. Team. I mean, Bill, Bill Peters has done a great job where it's a team that nobody really knows they have any superstars. They play as a solid team. They've got 
they've had solid goaltending from Riddich. They've got scoring spread out throughout the organization. And Giordano is having a phenomenal year on the back end. So they're just a good, solid hockey club. You and I talked about having to have scoring up and down. They've got guys that, you know, have 29 goals. Uh, You've got uh, Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Hockey, 75 points. You've got Monaghan with 63 points. Lindholm with 61. Kachuk, 57. Giordano, 54. Uh, Backlund, which Backlund is one of my favorite players. He is highly underrated. He's got 30 points. They've got scoring up and down that lineup. They do, and it's all understated. Nobody's really talking about it, and that's, that's a good sign because they're playing as a team. So there's no one line that you try and shut down. There's no one guy you try and shut down. They just roll lines over, and they're getting a little of everything from everybody. And it seems like to me from watching them, I've probably watched oh, 15, 20 of their games. They can play a physical game. They can play a speed game. They can play it any way you like it. Whatever you give to them, they'll play right along with you. I like that. And that's what I like about it. They can play a chippy style of game. They can play a finesse style of game. And they can slow it down and play that kind of an ugly style of game if they have to, too. So they're a complete hockey team right now. And that really helps you in the playoffs because you're going to see different teams. You're going to see teams that rely on speed. You're going to see teams that, you know, they're fast but they like to muck it up a little bit. It's, it takes a team like the Flames to be able to be successful. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, I like the Flames. I think the Flames could really do damage this year. I've heard a lot of people in St. Louis saying, oh, it would be great if we played the Flames because, you know, we, we play them well. And I'm just looking at these people going, have you not watched the Flames? I know that we've played well against them, but just because you've played well against the team in a regular season, you and I have seen it, Grant. The regular season means nothing when you get into the playoffs. Oh, no. You want a complete team, and you want a team that's hard to play against, then Calgary fits that bill right now. I mean, of all the teams in the West, the one team, well, actually two teams that you really wouldn't want to catch are Calgary and St. Louis with the way they're playing right now. Those are probably the two teams you'd least like to have in the first round. The funny, funny part is they could, they could get each other. If the Blues continue to play like they have been, they're getting hot at the right time. That's what you got to do going into the playoffs. I hope that they can sustain it. If they could play that way into the playoffs and the Flames continue to have the success they've had, that would be a great series. That would probably be a seven-game series. Oh, no, it would be a, definitely be a tough series. So I mean, that's, that would be one of the fun things. I mean, Everybody knows Nashville is good now, and that's fine. It's going to be that way. Everybody knows Winnipeg's good. So that's, I think most people are picking Winnipeg to win the West. But there's some sleepers in the West that are going to be hard to beat. Sure there are. And you know, a lot of people are saying the Golden Knights aren't as good as they were last year. Well, no, they're not. But you know what? I think up and down their lineup, they're more complete in my mind. And I think they could surprise people like they did last year. Definitely. They're a lot like Calgary, where they're getting scoring all through their whole lineup, and they can play all facets of the game. So they're going to be they're going to be a tough playoff team to play against. Yeah, especially since they got the experience they had last year. I know a lot of guys aren't on the team, but there still are a bunch of guys there that got that hunger. And you know, Grant, when you get to a Stanley Cup and you don't win it, it kind of motivates you a lot the next year. It does. You feel like you've got unfinished business, and 
I know they have that drive and that desire, and Fleury's playing great again, so they're going to be a tough team to beat. Another thing with the Flames, a lot of people I've heard, my friends up in Calgary and Cochran, Alberta, I got some friends up there, they're wanting the Flames to make a, a move and get another winger for some scoring. I, I think that would be nice to, for them to get. I wouldn't want to mess the chemistry up with that team. What are your thoughts on them uh, heading towards the trade deadline? Well, I think everybody looks to get better. But at the same time, teams that are playing well and are going good, are, you have to worry about the chemistry. And you don't want to upset the chemistry of things because it, doesn't, it only takes one bad move to ruin the chemistry of what you've built all year. So teams like that are going to be careful around the deadline as to what they add. I mean, if there's really if there's a glaring piece missing, they may try and add that. But at the same time, they're going to be worried about their chemistry. I think it's a fine balance. If you've got a guy that you know you're not going to be able to re-sign, another team is offering you a guy back that maybe has a similar skill set but is not as entrenched in the NHL, a younger player that you think might gel well with your team. I could see some GM doing something like that, but you've got to be very careful of it. I remember years ago with the Blues, and it's nothing against Garth Butcher. I love Garth Butcher. I think he was a very good defenseman. But when the Blues traded Courtnall uh, to Vancouver and got uh, Garth Butcher, that really hurt their chances that year of winning the Stanley Cup. And I wouldn't want to be a GM in that position, having a team playing so well. And you think you might need a little more scoring or you might need a top four defenseman. It's got to be tough on a GM to sit in that chair and make that decision because you can make the right decision or it can go massively wrong. Oh, no, it'd be a tough spot to be in. I mean, because the good teams that win championships that all have that one same thing. They all have good chemistry. And you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have chemistry, you're not going to win. So it's a tough spot when your team's playing well the whole year to try and add a piece or subtract a piece or do whatever because you don't want to upset that chemistry. You and I have talked about the trade deadline. There's some big players coming up that might be moved. I wanted to touch base with you on a couple of them. We've got Panarin and uh, Bobrovsky. I think there might be a few teams for Bobrovsky. He's making $7.2 million this year. He wants 9 to $10 million, maybe more. He wants to carry price money. Do you see him being moved A? And do you see him getting that five, six-year deal uh, in the offseason from some team for that kind of money? I could possibly see him move just because Columbus doesn't want to lose him for nothing. I mean, so they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. If they're on the cusp of a playoff spot, maybe you bite the bullet and you keep them. But at the same time, if he doesn't really want to be there, again, it goes to the, the chemistry thing in the room. If you know a guy's got one foot out the door, is that what you want around the rest of your guys? So, Bobrovsky and Panarin are kind of in the same boat. If they're right on that cusp of a playoff spot, they have to look at maybe biting the bullet and keeping them. But at the same time, when they've got one foot out the door, do you want to do that, or would you rather start fresh? So, they've got a tough decision there. Yeah, and uh, Panarin just changed his agent for the third time in four years to Bobrovsky's agent. He made the comment, I believe it was, that they're looking to get a package deal where a team would take both of them in the offseason. That's a lot of salary to take on, Grant. Two guys that are wanting 9 to $10 million a year for five, six years. I don't see any team that could really afford to do that. Well, but the only team that would be able to afford that would be an expansion team that's just starting. I mean, otherwise, I don't see it fitting anywhere. 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those two because they're both great talents and they can both help a lot of hockey teams. But at the same time, they're also both the kind of guys that if it's that easy to get a foot out the door, do you want them in your chemistry? Last but not least, the veteran and one of the best goalies uh, of this era, Jonathan Quick. I know that the Kings have wanted to trade him. They're kind of standing back trying to figure out what they should do. They've already made a couple moves. I wouldn't say they're tearing the team up out there, but they're definitely going to be doing a retool, rebuild. You hear that Carolina might be interested in him. Do you see the Kings doing anything with Jonathan Quick before the trade deadline? I could see the Kings being sellers at the deadline, so I could see him moving Jonathan. I mean, obviously, he's been a big part of their organization and such, but so Carolina's a good fit. I mean, you could see some teams that need to improve their goaltending that would take a chance on him and might be willing to trade some assets for him. And speaking of a veteran goaltender, uh, we know the Blues have had Jake Allen this year. He's not had his best year, but overall, in the last five years, he's been a pretty good goalie for them. They bring in Jordan Bennington. Bennington's playing just, just lights out. He's very in control in the net. He seems to really take great angles to the puck. He's never out of position, at least for the most part. He had a few times the other night, as I mentioned, where he kind of went down too early. He's looked pretty good for the Blues so far, Grant. I thought he's looked great for the Blues right now, and it looks like he's given their team confidence, and that's the big thing. And at the end of the day, they're still going to need Jake Allen. I mean, that's the fun part of the stretch is there's so much hockey in such a short time, they're going to need both goalies. And the greatest thing coming out of St. Louis is you don't hear any complaining or anything else. With Jordan playing so well, Jake hasn't their teammates, and it sounds like they're pushing each other and making each other better with no complaining. And I think that's one of the greatest things they've got going right now. There are people that are wanting the Blues to trade Jake Allen right now and get him out of town and bring up Ville Huso. And I don't know if you know anything about Ville Huso. He's supposed to be the Blues' number one prospect. He's not had a great year in the AHL. His uh, win-loss record is not good. But I don't think you want to move Jake Allen right now. Uh, Jordan Bennington needs that veteran guy there to kind of help him through things. It's not just a goalie coach that helps a young goalie. It's the other veteran guy or the other guy that's got a little bit of experience in the NHL that needs to be there to help that young goaltender thrive. It is. And he's also a security blanket for a younger goaltender. I know my first year I had Ronnie Lowe in Edmonton. And we, mind you, we didn't have goalie coaches at that time. So as my partner, he's the one guy you can fall back and talk to. And he'd been around the league, so he'd seen most things. And it's nice to have a veteran guy there that you could bounce ideas off of, talk to, help you along. And it helps give you confidence. Speaking of confidence, the Blues are playing with so much confidence now. Earlier in the year, Grant, they were just making so many mistakes. On the D side, they were leaving guys open. Patrick Liney, I believe, had four goals one game, and they asked him after the game, how did you get those four goals? How did you get so open? And he's like, I don't know. I have no idea why I was so open. A lot of people like to give Bennington all the credit for the Blues' recent turnaround. But you know what, Grant? A good goaltender needs a good defense in front of him. And I think the Blues' D has been playing much, much better. Well, I think Craig Ruby's done a good job there. I mean, I know from playing with Craig and knowing Craig that 
he's going to make them accountable. And I think that's been the biggest thing is he's made that whole team accountable in both ends of the ice. I mean, it might have been they were accountable in the offensive end at the start of the year, but a little lax in the defensive end. But he's got them accountable all over the ice, and he's got them playing for one another. And I think that's the biggest change is they actually look like they're playing for each other right now. And it's funny, when you start to play better, you get the big saves. When things aren't going well, sometimes you don't get the big saves. So one kind of breeds the other. If you get a big save, it can turn everything around for everybody else. When everybody else is playing well, sometimes it bails a goalie out. How many times, Grant, in your career and you know all the hockey games you've watched where you'll see a goalie make a huge save on one end and what happens? It turns into a goal on the other end. That's true. I mean, I've always been – I know the analytics will hate me again. They're all tied into save percentage, goals against average. But my whole deal is can you make the right save at the right time? I mean, I don't – it doesn't matter to me if you win 7-6 or 2-1. You have to make that right save at the right time. And the good goalies will do that, regardless of whether what their average, what their save percentage looks like. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is winning. And to win, you have to be able to make that right save at the right time. Yeah, I had brought that up on my podcast, and I put a few tweets out there like that. And uh, people ate me alive. You don't know what you're talking about. You haven't read the analytics. And I got back to a few of them. I said, you know, analytics are great. But my thing is, when it's 5-3 to three in the third period and they've pulled the goaltender, can that guy make that save? Does he win and does he make that big save? Does he come up big in the playoffs when you need him to? In my mind, that's what a good goaltender is. And that's all that matters in my world. I mean, can you win? And I spent the last couple of weeks on Twitter debating with a couple of guys. About they're, they're all over the analytics oh, and how yeah. analytics is going to win championships and such. And I'm like, I still want to see it. I mean, you can have all the analytics in the world. Analytics doesn't tell you if the guy fits in the dressing room. Doesn't tell you what type of guy he is. Doesn't tell you his character. I still want to see the player. You still want to talk to the player. I mean, everything looks great on paper, but paper doesn't win championships. I'm just like you, Grant. Analytics are one thing. You can use them for what they are. I'm not a big fan of them. Some of the analytics they come up with, Oh, Jake Allen is terrible on shots from 15 to 20 feet out. Well, my question is, who took the shot? Was it Sidney Crosby? Was it a top goal scorer? Or was it some guy that scores two goals a year that maybe is not a good of a player and he's not a sniper that can score against anybody? Analytics doesn't take that kind of stuff into account. And I think you have to take that kind of stuff into account. You do. I mean, analytics is getting better. I'll give analytics credit where it's credit's due. It's getting better, and it's it's a tool to use, but at the end of the day, it's not the be-all, end-all. I think you can take that, but you still have to look and see, and you can combine the two and come up with a formula. But one, in both ways, looking at a player all by himself, you'll get a feel for it and everything, but analytics will help you understanding that player in a general sense. I'm still, I, I want to see, talk, and see what I'm getting. I think it's important for a baseball uh, clubhouse for the guys to get along, but I think it's much more important in a hockey clubhouse for guys to get along. That chemistry in the clubhouse bleeds out onto the ice. Well, your good teams are going to be like a family. Guys care about each other. They do things together. And I see a lot of teams now where guys go their own separate directions and that sort of thing. The teams that stick together 
and think as a almost like a family are the teams that end up winning championships. Yeah, and I've heard stories of you guys from the 80s, your, your Oilers teams. Some of you guys went on vacations together. We were one big happy family. We vacationed together. We hung out together. We went for dinners together on the road. We went for dinners together at home. I mean, that's just the way our team was. We liked being around each other. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's times you kind of, you know, didn't get along. I, just like brothers, you're not going to get along all the time. But at the end of the day, Grant, you looked at them as your family. It is, it's your competition, but your competition is there to push you to be better. I mean, with Andy and I, Andy pushed me to be better. I pushed him to be better. It's what made both of us good. And that was the whole premise of our team is everybody's there to push each other, to make each other better. And if everybody understands that, you end up with a pretty good hockey club. Sure you do. The last thing on the Blues, the Blues are in a situation here to where they're battling all those teams you and I discussed, but things could change. And do you see the Blues making any type of moves before the trade deadline? Well, I think a lot will happen in the next 10 days. I think that's going to tell whether teams make moves. St. Louis being in that playoff spot, if they have a bad 10 days, with the, what's the deadline's the 25th, I think, somewhere in there. By the 20th, depending on where you sit, now you look at the chemistry in your room. If you're in a playoff spot, maybe you don't make a big move. If you're out of a playoff spot, maybe you do make a big move. So there's the best part. All the teams in the West are in that same boat. This next 10 days is going to tell a lot about everybody. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Grant, I want to thank you so much for your time and joining me on this episode of A View from the Crease. When we talk again next month, I'm sure it's probably still going to be how tight the Western Conference race is. It'll be a lot of fun because the deadline will be passed. So we'll, we'll see how close we were. We'll see if you and I were right about the competition. Grant, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Is there any event you have coming up that you'd like to tell the people about before I let you go? No, I'm actually on quiet time right now. I mean, I've got a movie premiere coming up out here in Palm Springs on March 9th. But other than that, that's the only piece of excitement I've got for the next little while. I'm on rest <laughs> time so I can watch some hockey. Well, good for you. I, I hope you get to watch plenty of hockey. And make sure either you or Adam let me know when that premiere is coming to St. Louis. I've just got so many people asking about it, and I'd appreciate the heads up on that. I'll make sure that you know. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You have a good rest of your evening. All right. Thanks, Lance. That was former Blue and Hall of Fame goaltender Grant Fuhr. He's going to be joining the drop every month on this segment called A View from the Crease. We're going to talk about everything hockey, and I'm sure next month we'll be talking about some of these trades that are going to be made at the trade deadline at the end of this month. Thanks again, guys, for joining me. Until next time. Stay healthy, stay happy, and let's go Blues. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Drop Podcast. To get more of The Drop, check out our website at droppodcast.com. You can also find us on Google Play, iTunes, and the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Instagram at the.drop.podcast or on Twitter at Drop Hockey Show. You can email the Drop Podcast or host Lance DeScott at lanced at droppodcast.com. To find out more about Lineup Media, go to lineupmedia.fm. Until next time, let's go Blues! This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.